Good morning, everyone. I should say good morning. He's in joy. How's the sound? Liz looks good. People are okay. It looks good. Great. Thank you for joining us, all of you. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be sitting here with you, um, to be in this zendo uh, where I received ordination with Catherine and Darlene Cohen, both of whom were here. And uh, it just brings back a lot to be here. And I just have to tell a little, you know, Steve, I can't believe you're here. I'm so thrilled to see you and it just has been so long. And, <laughs> and I'll never forget this. This story comes to me all the time about my early, you know, I had been practicing for about seven years in Southern California in my Zumi Roshi's lineage. And then I came to Santa Cruz and I came to Zen Center and I came on a Saturday actually and did a half day sit with Patrick who led the sitting and that was lovely. And then I came back early in the morning. I decided to brave a morning sit. So um, it was pitch dark. And I the, the ramp that came up, uh, that was essentially the sidewalk then, I think. I mean, it was just wood. There was no concrete out there. <laughs> and so I felt like I was, you know, uh, and it was pitch dark on the walkway and I couldn't believe it. I was like, you people, what are you doing? You know, we have to see, you know, that I know it's spiritual and all that, but matter matters and we don't want people falling. And, you know, so I, I said something to Steve, he was already here. He was dutifully setting everything up. I think you were the Eno and, uh, it's the first time I ever met Steve and, uh, I, I complained about the lighting first and he said he didn't say much. He just kind of bowed and walked away and he was on the other side of the patio. So I thought, well, he must not have heard me. <laughs> Obviously. So I came over to this switch, which now it has a master lock on it. I noticed. <laughs> and I flipped on all the lights. <laughs> and Steve just, uh, just carried on. And then Catherine came. And she was, you know, she reacted and then, uh, but quietly they just turned them off. <laughs> and I, and, and uh, they let me stay. Really, it, it's, it's amazing to me. It never ceases to amaze me in Zen practice that as weird as you are, you know, whatever you're thinking and whatever your thoughts are doing and you're acting on your conditioning and they're just carrying on and, and uh, loving you right where you are, right? And that's what we do. That's our way, actually. That's the whole enchilada, actually. It's just all about love. That's what we have. That's the gift we can give to ourselves and to each other and to the Buddha way. What else can we offer? We can, of course, show up with all, the whole range of human um, emotion, human existence, all its pieces, we show up and practice with all of that and we meet it where it is. And that's an act of love over and over again. We're just giving what we have, which is this capacity to love. And in the scripture, it's called luminous awareness. It's not love that's about attachment necessarily. It's love that is a big and wide and broad and meets you not because I like you, although I probably will because I'm a very extroverted person and I like people, but that's irrelevant. It's something more than that. It's something we can count on. It's, it's what we show up here to bring to our way. It's, I, can, I think of it as our gift to practice. And also something practice gives us back. So it's a, it's a you know, continual flow. And with, you know, I, I am, have never been an easy practitioner of sand. So I'll just put that out there. Um, I've had a difficult time with my body. And, and, and once I got that kind of rounded up, then it was, you know, the mind and 
learning to quiet the body was uh, took about 16 years or 17 years for me just getting the body to be willing to feel safe enough really to be still and then having stilled the body it was up to the body to teach the mind how to be still and my job was just to bring the mind back every time I noticed it somewhere else so that then became a doable thing in the in the context of a of a still body, which again, I mean, I thought Zazen was trying to kill me for about 16 years. <laughs> and I am truly a diehard. So I just kept coming back. I knew there was so much here. I'll tell you what it is. Very early in practice in 1991, when I started in Zen, I met the people. And they were so big hearted, so vast that, you know, I remember because I was in Southern California and I did a, a weekend retreat called Zen at Work. And it was lovely. And it was a lot of sitting and then discussion groups and sitting and discussion groups. I could go there. That was perfect. We were in the, in the you know, Sangha room most of the time. And then on Sunday morning, they did their their public morning practice. And so they all show up with their shaved heads, shiny little heads and their robes and, and they were all bowing to everything. And I mean, it freaked me out. And I all bolted. I mean, my body bolted out of the Zendo. And, um, and I went, I walked down these stairs and sat at a table there and I was bawling and just like, I know they're going to make me leave. And just, you know, I, I should never have come here. I mean, I was just like beside myself. I was terrorized. I was in a terror body, but I didn't know that at the time. It took me decades later before I figured that out. So, <laughs> but anyway, so I was sitting at this table and fully in my mind playing out how I should just go pack my bag and, you know, go ahead and get out while I'm getting out's good because these people, I don't know what they're doing. They're from the devil, you know. <laughs> and, um, and down comes Sason, who's a young priest. She'd recently been ordained. She slowly saunters down the stairs and comes and quietly just sits next to me. And I thought, okay, here it comes. You know, I was raised Catholic. I mean, come on. I know this scene. And so there I sat, shaking and crying. I couldn't stop crying. And Sason sat down and I thought to myself, she's going to say, how can I help you pack? Right. After about 20 minutes just sitting there with me, she leaned forward and put her arm across the table. And she said, what would it take for you to be here with us? What would it take for you to be here with us? What? <laughs> I was, it just, I said, I want that. I want to be like that. I want what she has. <laughs> and so I've been doing this ever since. And just the, how profound is that? It changed my life. That, that teaching from Sason that day. I'll, I, I'm, I'll just never forget that. And I have made it my um, sort of mission in Zen to make Zen accessible, to take up my teacher's teachings that everybody can engage this practice. It doesn't, you don't have to look just like Buddha and sit just like Buddha. That's what we think when we first start because everyone looks that way. Little do we know what's actually going on <laughs> and and then we see what's actually going on and we go well that's just me that can't be them because look at them they're sitting there all buddha they're just like buddha me i'm just flopping in the wind over here and just keep coming back and sitting by these buddhas and and being with their breathing in and out and your own breathing in and out and the gift is given Know, and there's and, and we don't have to all look alike and 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 be able to sit in exactly uh, the the posture of the statuary to engage sazen in very very deep and real ways. So Dogen, uh, the the uh, sort of topic or theme of our our time together this weekend is ease and joy, the Dharma gate of ease and joy.
And, um, you know, I, I think it's kind of ironic that I'm here talking about ease and joy after telling you that I really kind of did nothing but struggle for decades of practice. Uh, left during sessions because I was in too much pain. I was still trying to sit like everybody else and still trying to look like everybody else and thought that was important. And I uh, was missing the whole, the whole, the whole thing. Um, but I, I didn't miss one thing, which was keep going back, keep coming back. And because they just kept letting me, I, I really did keep thinking that this can't last because I'm just, I had difficulty. And those of you who, who knew me, uh, know me now and knew me then know how difficult it was for me to even be in the sendo. And the Sangha here was so generous with me. And uh, they, they called it my leaving practice. Because the practice part of the leaving was keeping connection while leaving. I needed to leave for my own sense of safety and physical stability. I kept throwing myself to the wall as if that was a way to to work with what with the work here <laughs> and and it was but I couldn't do it the way I couldn't ask myself I, I asked myself and felt like a failure because I couldn't meet what other people could do here and so I just thought well but I came back because they just let me come back I can't say it enough I'm, I'm, and so this is what I would like for us this weekend is just to have together the this holding of one another that practice gives I think some for me early on practice seemed very isolating like you all come here you don't even look at each other you sit you look at a wall I mean wow you know <laughs> this is this is it and and it took again, probably 10 years after the 16 to realize, oh, we are intimates in this room when we sit together. We become deeper than people who know about each other. We don't know about each other necessarily. I don't know many of your names, but I've sat here with you and I feel you on a, on a neurological level that is something beyond, uh, you know, just getting to know what you do and where you hang out and who you're married to or whatever who you're with and all that. Um, so, so this reveals itself uh, in practice, this deep intimacy. And um, so I, I want to touch on posture before we before I move on, because Dogen's teaching in the Fukan Zazengi, which is the universal instructions for Zazen, are very clear. He says Dharma, that Zazen is the Dharma gate of ease and joy. And I have to say, mm, really now, you know, is that, did he mean that <laughs> for the first years of my practice? I just couldn't. I couldn't find that. I couldn't find it. And so I, that has been a topic for me in my practice. And my teacher, Darlene Cohen, um, wrote a lot about Zazen. And th these little booklets, I'm showing it because it's out on the, there's one for each of you out on the um, uh, shoe rack. So please feel free to take one of these little booklets. And in this booklet, Darlene, um, this was like published just before she died. I mean, maybe a couple of months before she died, we got this printed finally. And um, it's in this book, she talks to people who have pain, who sit with pain and talks about different ways to work with pain in Zazen. And she also, and Chuck Overly, who some of you know, illustrated this little booklet. So the illustrations are by Chuck. And um, uh, it, so she talks about her own experience with penetrating the, what, what is Zazen posture? What is it? Because she was uh, afflicted with um, uh, severe rheumatoid arthritis before the biologics came about. So her body was 
very much affected by it. Her walking and her her um, hands, she could hardly use her hands uh, for, for many things. Um, so she, and she was living at Greenville when, when she became ill. And so as a monk, uh, she had to figure out pretty fast uh, how to sit, how to engage Zazen in a body that couldn't, as she put it, just plop down on a cushion. Um, and so this little booklet is about what she learned. It's like in a nutshell, what she learned about the posture of Zazen. And so for Darlene, she taught that the posture is about three things. Zazen posture is about three things. It's about an aligned spine. So what does that mean? That means your spine aligned, not the statue of the Buddha aligned the way somebody thought the Buddha sat, right? It's not some idea of alignment. It's your spine, your body, your head resting and finding alignment that is this body feeling aligned. So she did a lot of posture instruction when you sat with her, but it was always in, in your body, in this body, not asking you to, to uh, asking us to live, to, you know, show up with someone else's capability. <laughs> and this was something Catherine constantly was telling me because I never felt like I, I've been in a China shop in the Zendo and Catherine would say, bring your body. Your body is what you bring. You can't have Carl's body who bows without touching the floor. I want that. <laughs> so beautiful. But it's not this body right here that is the one I'm in, right? So Catherine also was very, um, very uh, big on that. Very important. It's, it's the only way we can come here. <laughs> so, um, so Darlene, pre uh, so the second feature of Zazen posture is stability, physical stability. So you don't, if you feel like you're gonna topple over, that's not it. It should be stable so that you can sort of lean to the side and front and back and feel um, like a sense of stability in your body. And uh, so stability. Now, the, 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 the clearest posture for both alignment and stability is the cross-legged full lotus posture or the cross-legged half lotus that is the easiest way to sit it, um, if your body can, can produce that posture and sustain it. It, it is sort of self-sustaining because it builds on itself and it, it builds from the base up and, um, and automatically sort of with the cushion aligns the spine and provides you know, three points of stability with the ground. So it's very stable and aligned. Um, and, and however, Darlene could not do those postures as she, after her illness struck. Um, and so the third element of Sazen is dynamic tension and dynamic tension turns out to be a central teaching, I think, for the Dharma gate of ease and joy in everyday life not just in Zazen. Um, so in Zazen though, we engaged in with dynamic tension to keep the mind alert. So Zazen, as you know, is not a sleeping posture. It can be, but it's not a resting posture inherently. It's intended to be a comfortable posture, reasonably comfortable. It's not meant to cause pain, um, but, and to be, um, uh, to be awake, to keep the mind alert in the midst of stillness. So the mudra is the most, is the way we in our school teach dynamic tension, that you could consider the mudra our sort of practice of dynamic tension. So if you notice your mind wanders, if you bring the mind back to the mudra, that's a very strong way to come back to the body. What are your thumbs, you know, steepling? Your thumbs are steepling. There's probably some, some, some tension that could be let go a little bit. 
little bit too much holding, a little too much tightness in the, in the body mind. If your thumbs are separate and have kind of fallen down, there's a little too much sleepiness there. So the hands are very informative and they help the, the body because the thumbs are the second most, they have the second most nerve endings of all the body parts. So the, the body feels them. And that's why it's it, the, the mudra is such a powerful thing to return to and that can be an ongoing teacher about our posture, can inform us as we sit um, continually. In, so she taught lying down posture and you may see me engage this posture. Um, if I need to do that, I will. I find it the most difficult of all the postures to maintain. I want to say that what I've learned is that there is pain in every posture. So there's no escape from pain when we still the body. There will be some discomfort. I maybe shouldn't use the word pain. There is, there can be pain, but there can also be discomfort. And um, that's true in lying down also. So when you still the body, the body is made to move. It's made for movement. It's a muscular body. Its primary um, wish <laughs> in the of the musculature and the neurology is movement. And it has its own momentum. It has its own energy. It's, it's sort of built for, for movement. So we still the body in order to study what moves. Still the body so we can study the self. Blah, 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 all, you know, doing its thing. And we go, hey, wait, come over here. I'd like to get to know you a little bit. Come to the still body. We just bring it back to the still body. Let the body teach the mind. So keeping, so, so stilling the body is, one, is a very, very important aspect of, of everything else we do in our lives and certainly in our practice. So, so stilling the body can be done sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. Because stillness and movement are not separate. They're not opposite things. They're actually part of the same dynamic. So we can say walking is controlled falling. Right? <laughs> so, so they're not, you know, walking and falling are kind of a pair. Um, stillness and movement are like that. And if we bring our body to stillness and make it a rigid posture, th then, um, then we're not flexible for what, for the moment as it arises. So, uh, the way Darlene talked about working with pain is in, in terms of if you, if you have pain during Zazen, pain in the knees, or the hips mostly, um, but anywhere, the upper back can become painful, that, that it's important not to ignore that, not to just push it down like, like, it's, like it's not important. It's your body, which is the foundation of, of everything. So you notice it. Ah, hmm, I, I see you there kind of thing, right? And then let it be. And likely it will change and pass or soften. And then it will, it may knock again, so to speak. And if it does, then notice it. I see you. Remind yourself you're okay. And let it go. Again, just noticing it, accompanying it. And likely you will notice that it changes and it passes. But what you'll also notice likely is some fear. Am I gonna have to put up with this for three days? Oh my God, I'll never make it. You know, like this projecting a future based on the present experience of pain. So it is exceedingly powerful in life, in, in all of our lives to know that it actually will change and move and that you can actually stay right where you are. You can decide to keep the vow of stillness through that. And then it knocks again 
she would say it's probably time to make a small movement, make some adjustment in posture to allow the body to release the, the holding that's happening. Maybe there's some holding happening. So she would say move. The other time to move is if you feel that the pain you're experiencing will not get better when you stand up, right? If you know that this pain in your knee, well, I know this pain, it's, it's just going to sit there. It'll be okay. And when I get up, it'll get better. It'll be fine. Then sit through that. Use that pain as a teacher. Let it, let it show you your uprightness. Let it show you your vow. Let it show you your beauty and strength and stability, because we need to know that when we walk out there into the marketplace world. That sense of confidence and discipline and ability to stay present with what is difficult is a very, very deep teaching that practice gives us. So don't escape that. Let it, let it show you yourself in very beautiful ways. Um, show yourself showing up for yourself, we could say. And, um, but if the pain is, you know, like nerve pain, a lot of nerve pain actually will get worse if it is, if you just sit on it, it'll come become screaming down the leg or doing, you know, it'll change and become heightened by, by that. So she would say, adjust posture if it's nerve pain or pain that you do not believe will go away or improve with, with, with movement when you move. So again, it's pain as teacher, uh, pain as, um, as a signal, and, and then ultimately pain as uh, an instructor to, to perhaps move uh, to give it some space or give your body some space. So I encourage you to pick up this little booklet and, and um, take a look at it. It has illustrations of the postures, of the lying down posture that she taught, and also uh, standing posture and walking posture. Um, walking sometimes, for me, I have a lot of nerve pain in the low back and left side. So Kenyan is very painful for me. Kenyan is more painful for me than sitting. Uh, and by the way, the same is true. We can just take that off the cushion. Shopping, you know, any slow walking. People like to go to swap meets. I'm like, no. Um, a farmer's markets, I love them, but I, I cannot walk slowly. It's very painful. I mean, I can, but it's very painful. I pay a price for that. So, um, so if that's the case for you, um, you can do what's called pacing. And this is an acceptable form of kinhin where you walk at a normal pace. You pick a path and you walk the same path every time. Um, so you're not looking for sensory input, but you are walking at a normal pace with the arms in. You can keep the hands in shashu. You can have the your hands clasped behind your back if you're upper body aches during zazen, clasping your hands behind your back during kinhin can actually help immensely, even during Zazen. Give it a little bit of spaciousness. Um, so there are hundreds of ways to work with these kinds of things when sitting. But for me, it applies everywhere. And so it's actually really lovely to study it in the stillness of practice as well. So walking, um, standing posture is in here. And these illustrations were done by Chuck. And then he went up to Russian River with these. And Darlene went over them with him with a fine tooth comb and made him erase lines and move hands just a little bit and all kinds of things to get them her approved postural illustrations. <laughs> so it's a little treasure really uh, in terms of what she had to teach about Zazen as someone whose body didn't just uh, do it readily and easily. And I think a lot of us are encountering that with age. Those of us who, who were, you know, able <laughs> to do it. Uh, Shohaku Okamura, you know, he sits in a chair now and he said, well, I blew out my knees. I didn't, I didn't pay enough attention to my knees when I was young and I blew them out. And um, so he's fine. He sits in a chair now, but it's, it's interesting that a, a, uh, a revered, you know, uh, master is, has learned something about caring for the body. If you're going to have a lifelong practice, 
you know, take care of the body um, and, uh, and learn its, its limits and learn to be, um, to be careful with it and take care of it in the midst of practice. So ease and joy. So what makes Zazen the Dharma gate of ease and joy? And I, I, there's a particular quote by Sawaki Roshi, um, who actually was uh, the teacher of Uchiyama, who was the teacher of Shohaku. So we'll just bring that lineage <laughs> right into our right into our zendo. Um, he died in 1965, I think. So not that, not so long ago, you know, within our lifespans. It's not, he's not an ancient master. He's very high peak in Zen. And um, he said, Zazen is a posture that seeks absolutely nothing. Zazen is a posture that seeks absolutely nothing. And I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's that's why it is the Dharma gate of ease and joy. Because the cause of suffering is seeking, wanting something to be different, wishing it were otherwise, wishing that bell would ring, right? <laughs> um, so this non-seeking posture, neither neither leaning into the future or leaning into the past or side to side leaning. This is an upright posture, whether it's lying down, standing, walking, or seated. When you lie down, you get the alignment thing right every time. You are, it's auto-aligning to lie down. So it's a very upright posture, even though we might not just think of it that way. So when I say upright, I'm including lying down in that. I'm including an aligned, stable posture that is awake. <clears throat> so the staying awake is about including everything. So you see this beautiful work of art on the wall, on the window of the Dokusan room, the stained glass there, the gorgeous stained glass, the mudra, the universal mudra, and inside the mudra is the universe. It's stunning, jewels and beautiful moon, crescent moon and the sun and gorgeous, perfectly shaped, thumbs barely touching, perfect, beautiful, universal mudra and you're looking and it's all and then you notice the fly the fly on the thumb and you're like oh that too you can't leave out the fly from the mudra right because if you leave out the fly then you leave out our lives you leave out the self which wants stuff which doesn't want the itchy fly or the noisy fly or the fly in the heat or whatever it is. Um, you bring out reactivity, the reactivity of the self when you see the fly, <laughs> because we all know that fly. Everybody who's sat for 10 minutes knows that fly. <laughs> so that fly is our lives and is the self that has preferences and likes and dislikes. And so, to be non-seeking in this non-seeking posture, but awake posture. I, I, so I know the fly is there. <laughs> I can then um, seek nothing, seek to change nothing, seek not, seek, do not move. Do allow the fly to be the fly right there with no problem, no disruption. Just ease and joy. The fly is now just part of the zazen. So it's a posture that seeks absolutely nothing. And that's what, that's the ease and joy. And when I finally 
got felt safe enough and entered into zazen as a field of ease and joy the whole thing changed and that's when i could feel the intimacy in the room that's when i could be with the whole of practice and not just striving to look a certain way or be a certain way or show up uh, in a certain way. So dynamic tension is, is about simultaneously including apparent opposites like movement and stillness, uh, like um, the vow to be still and the fly. Um, or whatever it is that's pulling me off. Um, uh, the heat in the room, the, the cold outside, whatever it is. Um, so Darlene talked a lot about this idea of simultaneous inclusion, that it's not about avoiding the things that are less comfortable or the, the sort of things that aren't joyous or the sadness. Uh, or whatever arises, that too, that too is present. Oh, this too. And just, you're here, I see you here. And allowing that to just be as it is, to be energy, to move through you, not expecting anything of it. It might sit there the whole time, right on your head. And it's okay. You're just sitting still in this non-seeking posture and residing in ease and joy. So movement and stillness, comfort and pain, comfort and pain. And what we find is that if we focus, if we're hijacked by one side of attention, we, we, um, we can be taken over by it and forget the other side. So in a lot of pain, one can lose track of comfort. Think there is no comfort. Think that there's nothing that isn't pain. And, and sometimes it is that way. And then you, you, you stay with that. But often pain too is, a, is something that moves and changes. It is energy in the body. I don't have a Good timepiece here. I also have been missing the schedule the whole time. <laughs> okay, so okay. Um, so it and and also, you know, if we spend our our energy trying to avoid one and seeking the other, for example, seeking health, seeking health at all cost, um, uh, uh, then we find that that you know. Ill health chases us all the time. It's like in, in seeking this one, I'm, I'm, this one is overtaking me and essentially can't be, can't be avoided. So Darlene would say this too, wrap it in. Um, rest and activity. Catherine used to talk about rest and activity. Uh, she said at Tassajara when she lived there and she was Tonto, she said she, you know, she thought she couldn't do one more thing in a day and then she would do it <laughs> and notice that she did it. Right. <laughs> so, so rest and activity and um, fluidity and rigidity. They're not opposite things. We don't want to make our zazen or our or our work rules or our ways of being with each other so rigid that we can't receive one another, that we can't receive our own body or our own mind. So a sort of a fluidity. Um, Darlene taught people in, in Zazen instruction, she taught people if their backs were just aching and aching, especially the upper back, she would say, just do this. Yeah, just move it a little. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Give it a little movement. There's, and right during Zazen, there's, it's okay. Because you're, this, is your, this is what you bring to practice. This is your methodology, we could say. <laughs> each person unique, each, each body built just for 
it, its own inhabitant. <laughs> so, so uh, it's okay to let it have some some movement, even in the midst of stillness. Um, in fact, it will help the mind come back and not itself become stale and sleepy. Um, so um, right effort and pushing beyond tolerance. Sometimes in Zen, we are, are ain't our old teachings and sometimes the way we bring it is, is quite, uh, seems quite rigid and very, you know, uh, conforming and, um, you know, very form oriented and it, it looks rigid to people. People make this comment to me quite a lot um, in other groups where I speak in Vipassana groups and they'll say, I just gave a talk in a Vipassana group on Wednesday night and they, and I talked about posture and they had never heard a talk about posture. And these are old sitters. These are guys who've been doing it for years. And because in, in their, um, in their approach, they, they don't emphasize posture the way we do in Zen. But I think that um, it's so helpful to me to think of, of the container of the body and this right effort. And I think sometimes we have maybe invited people to push themselves beyond their tolerance, emotional tolerance, psychological tolerance, right? window of tolerance we, we have now in our lexicon. Um, and no learning really can happen there. It's, 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 it's outside the zone of, of, of enough safety for the body-mind to receive itself gently and receive, hold each other. So, um, so that's when people bolt out of the room, you know, because it's, it just went outside the window of tolerance and they had to get relief. So I think we can, without sacrificing posture and the core of Zazen, I think we can teach it from the standpoint of ease and joy and more leaning there than leaning in sort of what is right or proper or correct. I had a student of, I have a little online Sangha and one of the students there they live together, two of the students. And she, she said that he told her that when she puts her hands in mudra, the knuckles have to align. The knuckles have to align. And mine don't. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. But it was new to me. I think it was probably came from a, a book or something that was read. And um, apparently there is correction going on in the home. If when they sit together, he corrects her hands if her knuckles aren't aligned. So this, so these, we have ideas about what is right, but everyone's hands are different. Everyone's fingers are different lengths, even relative to each other, even right and left. So I think that idea, that's an idea that came from somewhere. And um, we can let that go. It's, it's, not, it's not important. Um, but what is important? Bodily alignment, stability, dynamic tension. So we have an alert mind. Um, we, can, we think sometimes of ease and joy as being uh, opposite of suffering. But in fact, ease and joy includes suffering. It includes pain. They're not opposites. They come together often. So how do we work with that? How do we understand that? Because every day in our lives, we encounter this. When we work, when we go to work, when we work with other people, um, our ease and joy evaporates. <laughs> it can evaporate and we can get into this dualistic way of either or. But in fact, um, they, the, you know, 
when, after Darlene died, this is a good example I have of this, really powerful in my own life, which was after Darlene died, um, I cried. Well, she she get, told me, you know, I because I, I was crying a lot before she died. I was already in active grief and I was crying and I told her I can't stop crying. And she said, then, you know, then don't then cry. And that's that's your bodhisattva gift. So let yourself cry. So after she died, I cried for a year and a half. And I just made the decision when she died that I was going to observe that teaching. I was just going to let the body cry and let it be okay. And what I learned, because I was at, in seminary out in Fresno then and meeting with large groups of other students and they would ask me, is there something wrong? No, I'm fine. I don't need a thing. I'm just, the body is crying. Well, what, what got said or what came up? I have no idea. It's okay. Don't worry. We take tear crying as a social message. And for me, it was not a message. I, I could, I found out that, that then at the very end of seminary, there was a man who had been very quiet through the whole time. And I enjoyed him so much being with him. And at the end, he said to me, you cry a lot, but you laugh a lot. <laughs> exactly. And I learned from doing that, from letting the body have that, that I could laugh and cry at the same time. In the same instant, simultaneously, there could be joy and happiness and tears. And it all just was fine. There was no problem. The problem comes in fighting it, trying to make only one or the other be the truth when it was all the truth and it could all be there. Neither hindered the other. Suffering does not hinder delight. Sadness does not hinder joy. Grief is a social emotion. It takes time to work its way. I believe grief works its, works its way through the body. We can mentalize grief and talk about it. It's important to do that. But in fact, it's the body that lets go of what was lost. And, and the body um, uh, takes a while to work itself, to work grief and, and other emotion through through the cells of the body, through the neurology of the body. <clears throat> so ease and joy is not bypass. It's not ignoring how I really feel and looking good. That wouldn't be it at all. Ease and joy is grounded in the real. It's, it's in the raw the rawness of our lives, that the greatest ease and joy are present. It's just that we are often looking somewhere else. We're hijacked by the pain or hijacked by some suffering and we aren't seeing the whole, the whole thing. Um, and so I, I invite you, how are we? I invite you for the next couple of days to really let yourself return to your aligned, stable, awake body and let it, re let it, uh, let it remind you uh, of the whole thing the ease and joy, the sadness and selfing, the preferences, the wishes, they can all be there. It's all good. It's all you, it's, it's you here. And we can only come as this one. So please come as this one and let us be seen by you. Let us see you in your practice, in your stability, in your alignment. And let us hold each other these few days in this cradle of ease and joy is so rare.
and we can we can co-create this. We already are. I just want to thank you so much for for being here and and uh, arising so beautifully today. So so just beside myself with joy. Thank you. How late am I? Numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible.